Welcome everyone to the Lawson Creamer Legal Coaching Podcast. We are back in our virtual reality podcasting studio. And today, I'm not only joined by my partner in crime and partner-in-law, Kelly Van Buskirk, which I am normally joined by, but also we have another one of our partners at Lawson Creamer, Veronica Ford, with us today. And today, again, in the context of COVID-19, certainly something that has been probably on, on many people's minds are are the risks posed by COVID-19 to, to health and life. And in that vein, and this is a this is a bit of a heavy, I suppose. Um, Veronica um, practices and and focuses on wills and estates practice. And we wanted to talk with Veronica about wills and estates related issues, particularly at this point in time, when so many lives are being affected and so many people are are being impacted by COVID-19. And Kelly, do you want to give a little bit of background on our partner, Veronica, and and um, and kind of the trajectory of her practice at Lawson Creamer? Sure. I think Veronica is pretty interesting because not only does she have a degree in law, but she has a master's of uh, business administration degree. And, you know, throughout her career, she's been doing a couple of things extensively. Uh, she does a lot of work in the corporate and commercial field. But in addition to that, she's been really expanding her expertise in the field of estates and through uh, some extensive study. So, you know, for us, that's been that's been fortunate as a firm to have that resource available to us. And she's also pretty fun to work with. So we thought that it would be interesting to talk about the estates field especially, as you say, Mel, in the context of COVID-19, because there have been some really interesting issues that have come up. For example, quite often as lawyers, we will get calls from family members of people who have been admitted to the hospital and who sometimes, unfortunately, are facing terminal illnesses. And in a typical circumstance, that would involve meeting with that individual in their hospital room taking instructions with respect to a last will and testament, perhaps depending on the circumstances, a power of attorney, and uh, then preparing those documents and arranging to have the documents executed by the client slash patient again in the hospital. But given the uh, circumstances of the pandemic, those simple steps of having documents signed uh, have been made much more difficult. And so one of the questions I'd love to ask Veronica is what people are doing in the in the midst of the pandemic with respect to having documents like wills and powers of attorney executed. Yeah, well thanks for thanks for asking me to join in. It's um not a super fun and exciting topic to talk about your untimely demise, but uh, it is it is a pretty pretty important one and and one that I think gives people a lot of comfort once once we've actually had the discussion and put it in a drawer. You know, it's it's in my practice I to be honest we've we've done a lot of waiting. I have quite a few wills that I'm working on and lucky enough those clients are for the most part young and healthy and we've been 
kind of trying to finish the documents and doing all of the background work. Uh, and now that things are starting to open up, we're moving very quickly to sign them. Um, but that doesn't address the issue that a lot of people are, are having, which is that uh, once we're in a hospital or in a nursing home, uh, if the province closes those facilities to outside visitors. To my knowledge, they've not been making exceptions for legal professionals. So either it would require some sort of exception, you know, probably with really careful protocols to be allowed in, or you're risking not having anything done. So I think a lot of people are being left without the documents being completed, to be honest. Right. And I suppose you can ask, people who work inside the facility to witness certain documents. That doesn't cure the problem of taking instructions and ensuring that you've had the communication with that patient first to understand their objectives in preparing those documents. But you've mentioned previously, there are a couple of different strategies that can be put in place to overcome this sort of lack of contact. Yeah, I mean, very strictly speaking, at least right at this moment in New Brunswick, uh, a lawyer does not have to witness wills and powers of attorney. So they could be signed before two other witnesses and following certain protocols. With powers of attorney, certain uses that we have for powers of attorney, such as for real property, um, require you to have a notary to sign them. So without a lawyer having witnessed them, you, you may not have full functionality. That being said, if we were in a situation where a lawyer could not get into the facility, I would still try to have two individuals sign it and then remedy the issue later once we're able to. Uh, A last will and testament is signed on a more strict uh, scale. So signing a power of attorney, you know, you obviously have to be sure the client has capacity and meets certain requirements. The Supreme Court of Canada has outlined a number of times in different cases what the test is for uh, taking execution of a last will and testament. And so what's difficult about a will is that you can have two people sign it. Um, but it's making sure that you've met all of the, what the Supreme Court of Canada will require to make it a valid will. And, I, and unfortunately, when we're in a hospital, often we're sick. Um, we may be on a lot of medication. We might not be in our right mind. So being able to have a lawyer who has extensive skill in questioning and, and you know ensuring that the testator meets these requirements if that lawyer isn't there, then you either have to maybe try to do it remotely. So that's probably what I would do and try to do it on some remote means to at least assess the test before it's signed. But those individuals, if two other people were to sign are probably not, don't have the skills and, and don't understand what, what the requirements are for that test to be met. Um, so again, using these platforms, you know, like everybody's using Zoom and Microsoft Teams and, and other platforms, you know, you could still have this conversation immediately before it's signed with a lawyer and, and try to flush out the capacity and make sure the test is met to get as close as you can. And, and in, you know, in absence of what we would say is the gold standard of what it should be, it would be better than, than not having a will altogether. Yeah. Veronica, on, on that, I mean, at least I've heard from lawyers like you that having a will and power of attorney are important things to, to have. And for many clients, it's, it's the, for many, not just clients, but for, for people in general, it's about the last 
topic of conversation that they want to um, want to get into because it it does border on the morbid and the mortality that we all kind of push to the back of our our minds on any given day and that you know nobody really likes to think about the end of end of their own life much less uh, the end of their loved one's life or or those situations that can can result in incapacity to the point where you can't make your own decisions and in the midst of everything that people are dealing with in terms of this pandemic and uh, the stresses of you know returning to work and trying to adapt to the new normal why should this be a priority for people and and i guess in part what are the the really negative consequences or the, the the problems that people will encounter if they don't take care of of some of these fundamentals, if they don't take care to have a power of attorney to make sure their wills are done, what 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 are they potentially risking? Sure. Well, um, that is a you know a pretty complex question. I mean, first off, nobody wants to talk about their estate plan. It's it's not a fun topic. It's you know it's, but it is really it is really important. And I of all the work that I do, I really I really see the impact on the families. Uh, so powers of attorney, kind of first. Uh, firstly, in New Brunswick, we don't have something that will automatically grant power of attorney privileges if somebody were to be rendered in, incapable of making their own decisions. Unfortunately, I've had quite a few situations over the years where if the individual doesn't have a power of attorney and, and is rendered incapable, then uh, we have to seek something called a committee. And a committee requires a application to court and a number of medical professionals to uh, sign off that the person does not have a capacity. And, you know, powers of attorney are very inexpensive to create. And, and I automatically make them part of my wills packages because they're just so important. Upfront, they're very inexpensive relatively. An application for a committee before the court uh, is thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, just getting medical experts sometimes can be thousands of dollars. And then I have uh, had situations where the court, you know, the situation was a little bit unusual and the court required more. And fortunately, it just puts the family in a really difficult position of having to spend a lot of money to just be in the position to make decisions and administer the finances of the individual who, you know, a lot of times it's older individuals, of course, who are suffering dementia or other mental infirmities. But it can also be as simple as having younger people who have head injuries or other medical induced problems or accident reduced problems that leaves them in a, unfortunately, a very vulnerable position if somebody's not empowered to make those, to deal with those matters for them. For last will and testament, also, unfortunately, I've had uh, an, a number of clients pass away without a will, and it makes the situation very complicated. Sometimes the situations are very simple and we work around them very easily, but that's very often not the case. And, and having a will does a number of things. It, it allows you to choose who is the right person to be my executor, who's going to administer my estate and do all the work, who has the right skills and the right capacities. And, and just it's a, it can be a lot of work and, and who's able to do it. Uh, the other thing is then choosing how your estate is going to be divided. So you know, if you don't have a will, we have a little piece of legislation called the Devolution of Estates Act that's going to tell you it's this is how it's going to go, whether you like it or not. 
whether it's the right thing, whether it's, you know, that's just what we've got. So, and it's going to, you know, kind of say, if you have a spouse, if you have children, and it'll just tell you exactly where, how the pie is divided. And that's, 99.5% of the time, not how the person would have set up their estate. Um, So it it allows you the control. But in a couple of the situations where these clients haven't had wills, it's made it very costly and very complicated uh, to get somebody appointed to act and and also um, made it so that we had to go through like court applications right after somebody's died, uh, which, which is not something you want to be doing when you can get out in front of it and deal with it now. Um, and, uh, and, and this conversation is the same one I have with people, whether COVID was happening or not. Um, I, I think wills and powers of attorney are incredibly, incredibly important. And, um, and I think now it's just a really good time where things are kind of highlighted. And, um, although it's not an easy time, it just, it's a great time for us to kind of say, you know, what's really important? Well, you know, you know, for me, it's my family. It's making sure that my family is going to be taken care of and, and that it's going to be easy for them. So, You know, here's, here's something that's interesting to me. During this COVID pandemic, there has been, you know, at times this outrage, uh, r- rightly so, um, in the news about people in the United States, at least, um, taking uh, these non-prescribed drugs uh, or drinking bleach, uh, doing these kinds of things to uh, try to fend off uh, the virus. Do-it-yourself kits, right? And that, I think, has an equation to uh, the kind of work you do because uh, I think that it's interesting, isn't it? People will work their whole lives and work really hard to you know, accomplish some stability. They, you know, they have families that, you know, mean everything to them. And yet, uh, when it comes to making a proper, well thought plan uh, that will take effect in their incapacity or in their death, gee, everybody gets really cheap. Uh, all of a sudden. And I, and I find that really funny because, you know, everyone's down at the bookstore looking for a do-it-yourself will kit. Or we all remember from law school, the famous case of the uh, farmer who gets pinned under the tractor in the field and writes, you know, scratches his will in the paint on the tractor as he's dying, right? And I think the words were all to the wife. And so uh, she must have had a long first name. Uh, <laughs> And he was running out of time, but, but, but it just is striking, isn't it? That people would work their whole lives and develop these families that mean everything to them. And then just cheap out at the end and say, yeah, I, I think I'll just jot this down on a napkin. Well, and on that, I mean, Veronica, what is, you know, the, you, you've highlighted the uncertainty that can be created, the cost that can be created, the vulnerability, the lack of control, all of these kind of bad outcomes from yeah. from not taking the step to, to to do this. What's the process like? What I mean, is this does this involve coming in and, you know, turning over your, your firstborn child or sawing off your arm and giving it to a lawyer? What do, what's involved in 
in in doing in taking the proper steps? What's the process? Sure. Well, it depends. I mean, I try to make the process match the clients a little bit and and what works best for them. You know, I mean, I, I would strongly urge people and, and geez, I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but not to use a will kit. They are very hard to follow. And if they're not done properly, they will cause you a lot more problems and probably necessitate a court application. But creating will can be pretty simple. And it all depends on what our situation is. I usually start by sending my clients a, a checklist and just getting them to give me some of the basic information. And what I always say is, get an idea of what you have, and then we'll have a conversation just to say, what do you want to do with it? And, you know, some people's situations are very complicated and that, you know, we might have three or four conversations or meetings. I guess pre-COVID, I probably would have met in person with people more because um, it's, it's a stinky conversation. Um, you know, I mean, it's not something we want to talk about. It's sometimes a little bit easier to do, you know, when you're with somebody and, and you can kind of walk through it. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk it through. Uh, we'll figure out what your goals are and make documents that are going to match that. And then we get together and sign them. So no cutting off limbs. Uh, I try to make it pretty painless. But obviously, you know, when your situation is a bit more complicated, you know, sometimes it takes a, a bit of time and, and a bit of thought. But once it's done, what I can tell you is every single time I've had clients leave saying, I'm so glad this is done. I feel so much better. I'm so relieved that, you know, this is just going to be easy. And, and to be honest, a lot of times when I finally hear from clients is when they've had a family member pass away without a will. And it was very difficult to administer or it was very onerous. And they just don't want their family to be in the same situation. Well, if you don't mind me saying so, I think that it's, again, interesting that we would consider the idea of some sort of do-it-yourself kit for this big of an issue, you know, it's it's not like you can go to the drugstore and get a do-it-yourself kit to diagnose significant illnesses, right? Imagine, mm -hmm. you know, or a do-it-yourself surgery kit. I mean, we just, that wouldn't be something that we would think about. And yet, when we're talking about this very significant issue, and people shouldn't forget this, the, these documents that you're talking about, can affect them in fundamental ways while they are still living. Powers of attorney that you mentioned earlier are documents that can dictate and do dictate what's going to happen when you aren't in a position to make decisions about your own care. And so if you have specific wishes, and I find people always do have specific wishes, just ask anybody, look, if you were uh, laying on your deathbed, having been in a horrific car accident, and you know the physicians were very confident that um, you could only be, you know, sustained mechanically, but that you would never be revived. Essentially, you'd be in a coma for the rest of your life. Just ask anybody, what do you want to happen to you then? Everybody will have a very concrete answer to that. They won't say, eh, it doesn't matter. They will say, oh yes, I want to be kept alive or no, I don't. You know, Kelly, a lot of the documents that we prepare might not even answer those specific questions, but it really, it prompts conversations. It empowers somebody to act in that time. And it prompts somebody to have the conversations with your loved ones. Because, you know, if you never tell 
your family members what your wishes would be in, in that kind of circumstance, they're probably not going, you know, they're not going to know what to follow. And it's, again, it's a super stinky conversation, but I will say that, you know, it's important that we have them. It's it's a reality. I, I can't just say, not to be bring the doom and gloom, but, you know, it does happen. We do need powers of attorney and, and I guess none of us are getting out alive. So we, you know, I mean, uh, setting it up. So you've, you've done it in a way that you accomplish your goals and you make it easy on your family and you take care of your loved ones. I mean, I think that's what all of us want, at least all of my clients. I don't know if anybody's ever deviated from, you know, those base goals in their plans. And Veronica, if you if you follow the advice that you're you're outlining, and and I I think you you also do work after a loved one passes, and if you follow the advice that you're delivering and explaining in this podcast, um, what does that look like? Take us to that point in time where that person has passed, but they've done all the right things. They've put in place yeah. everything. What's the typical scenario that unfolds for for that family and and uh, compared to what it uh, would be with all the uncertainty and cost and expense that could come with without having followed your advice? Sure. Yeah. So I do a fair bit of administration work. And unfortunately, a lot of the times that I'm I do I do a lot of simple applications for letters probate. So most of the banks in New Brunswick now will require you to have letters probate or letters of administration. And those applications are, if you have a properly drafted will, are pretty straightforward and they're pretty simple. You know, a lot of the issues I deal with are often when things have not been done well. Um, so for the most part, if you have a really a well-drafted will and a clear plan and, you know, people appointed as your executor, uh, then, then it's very straightforward. And if you do need a lawyer, you know, we're here to kind of maybe answer a few questions and give you some guidance and file that one application. And that's probably all you're going to need from a lawyer uh, if you need one at all. Otherwise, you know, they're going to just, it's almost like a checklist. You know, it, it, they'll start and say, okay, the first thing I'm going to do is pay all the debts of the estate. And then I'm going to, oh, okay, there's this car is supposed to go to Johnny. Okay, I'm going to transfer title of the car to Johnny and the house to Sally. And, and then I distribute it. And, and you're just really following like a little list of things you're supposed to do. And at the end, you, you file a couple tax returns and, and it's pre, it can be pretty straightforward. Of course, it depends on the person's estate. Uh, some people have much more complicated estates. If you don't, that's where it goes pear shape. You know, a lot of times when I get heavily involved in an estate, it's because, oh, I've just had so many different things. A lot of times it's disputes between the parties. And often I've had a number of situations where a parent has put two of their children who they know don't get along to act jointly as executors because they want to try to force a relationship to develop between them. That doesn't work. That usually leads to litigation. <laughs> I've had a number of situations where people have used will kits and they weren't done properly. And we had to go to court to get a court order to, you know, do certain things because it didn't give any instructions and it didn't deal with all the property or it wasn't signed properly. Oh, geez. I, I had I had one situation where the individual went through and made a bunch of changes on their own and that caused all kinds of problems. So there, there's lots of things that happen, but typically I, the word I keep using is easy. If you have a properly drafted estate plan, especially for a will, 
the administration relatively can be pretty easy. So in your case, Veronica, you've worked extensively in this field. You're a member of the Society of Trust and Estates Professionals. You uh, focus on this kind of work, which is comforting, right? Because uh, that's like knowing that you're in the hands of a person who you know, really has a deep, deep interest in the subject area and knows the knows the issues uh, in a way that many, many others don't. So I think it's a really good idea for people to give consideration to their own estate uh, planning needs. Uh, everyone has the need uh, for estate planning. The question is whether each one of us has addressed that need appropriately. And you know, in the middle of a pandemic, it's a good time to think about that, but it's a good time to think about it even outside of a pandemic, because as you've pointed out, and this this was a little bit dark, I thought, when you suggested that everybody will pass on. <laughs> Mel and I have never said that to the listeners, and uh, now here you are. Sort of yeah. Yeah. It did. Uh, it did evolve their mortality yeah. in their face. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it did go to that dark, dark spot. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Funny enough, I I try to bring some humor into my meetings uh, most of the time when I'm meeting with people drafting wills. I. Uh, but yeah, no. I Sorry. saw your I saw your Grim Reaper joke book in the uh, in the meeting room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> perhaps we should let our listeners off the hook at this point, uh, Kelly. And <laughs> yes, exactly before something worse gets said. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, look, we do want to say thanks to Veronica for uh, talking to us about this. We do want to remind our listeners that this is an important issue. It's one that can't be overlooked. If you do choose to overlook this issue, then Essentially, you're leaving your life's work and your family in the lurch, which I think sounds less than responsible to me. Uh, So, Veronica, thanks for telling us all about it. And um, we'll hope that people are able to turn their minds to this issue before it's too late. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me uh, (laughs) me on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Veronica. Veronica.